Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Thank you for joining me and uh, kind of a rough topic here today on The Moment, it's, but, it's, but a really important topic. Kelly Galindo is an American actress, director, and producer. Her work has spanned decades in television, theater, and film. She's currently in post-production for her first directorial feature documentary, which is called 26 Seconds, which we're going to talk all about today. It's based on the horrific sex trade, child sex trade. The documentary is driven by her passion for giving a voice to the victimized children. For the past four years, Kelly has produced and directed 26 Seconds. Her mission of exposing these atrocities has taken her around the world. Kelly highlights the nonprofit organizations that have actively stepped forward to do something about it. In addition, Kelly balances her directing and acting careers while passing her craft on to future generations of students as a professor at Dodge College of Film and Media Arts at Chapman University. That's why, in fact, we could not speak live today. Kelly has a class. And uh, my daughter, who graduated from Chapman last year, said that Kelly just got rave reviews from everybody who took her class. So hopefully at some point we'll have her back on here live and we can take call-ins and questions, things like that. But for right now, I want you to sit back and, and, and listen to this conversation. It really is an important one. And Kelly will go into all kinds of details about her life producing this documentary, where it stands. And then I'll be back at the end of the conversation to do a brief wrap-up. So again, my conversation with, with director Kelly Galindo about her riveting new documentary project called 26 Seconds. Kelly, talk to me a little bit about what first led you um, I, I know things like this tend to start as passion projects, right? But what, what yeah. first made you aware of this? When did you, when did the light go off and you have this moment where you realized you had to do something about this because not enough was being done? I, about, God, was it 10 years ago? It could have even been more. Yeah, about 10 years ago or, or more, I uh, saw a segment on Dateline about sex tourism in Thailand. And I was blown away because basically what it is, is pedophilers from the Western world, you know, from uh, America, from uh, Europe and from Australia, basically are flying to Thailand to get away with being pedophiles. That's basically what's happening. And I was just so stirred and so upset. And I thought we've got to do something like, I don't know, maybe, maybe they can be caught when they're flown in you know, right when they let their airplane lands, maybe that's where I remember thinking like, how can we stop this? This is insanity. Mm-hmm. And um, so cut to, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor at Dodge College of Film Media Arts at Chapman University. So I said, okay, how I can make some dent and some kind of change is by creating awareness through media, through um, filming a documentary. So because I knew I had access, you know, obviously to camera equipment and editing rooms, I knew that I could save some money. But this definitely was a a project of passion, but passion from disgust and anger and change that needs to, to happen in our world. Was it the kind of thing when you became aware of it, I mean, or at least when it caught your eye, that you made your students aware of? Is it Did it ever become a discussion point in classrooms for you? 
Not at first, but when I started filming my project, absolutely, because I've included a lot of my, I had alumni um, students that were the cinematographers for my project. I used a different cinematographer for each country. I filmed in nine countries. Um, and then when we went into post-production, uh, right now I have all of my grad editing students interning on my project to help me string inter uh, all the interviews together. Oh, so beautiful. definitely, yeah, they're involved in the project. What's it like when, you, when you've got to hit the road? I mean, I, I remember a number of years ago, I went out, I was writing a, a column for the Los Angeles Times on this topic locally. And I went out, there was a, um, uh, a group, you know, law, part of law enforcement allowed me to go along on some ride-alongs over a couple of nights. And it was really scary. And it was really upsetting and, um, and really eye-opening. But what I noticed being out with them is that it's a very murky world. It's very hard to get close to what's going on because it's really covered in layers. There are a lot of protective layers that the people who are doing this, they know how to keep it away and keep it off the grid and keep it sort of in the underbelly. How, how do you begin approaching the topic knowing that there are going to be a lot of people that do, obviously don't want you near this topic? You know, I never worried about who didn't want me near this topic. I'm actually more concerned in exposing right. <laughs> who's involved in this topic. But, um, but how I had was able to have access to filming uh, was I partnered with over 40 nonprofit Christian organizations. Mm -hmm. So some work in rescue, some work in restoration, some in reintegration. So the organizations that work in rescue, I would go on undercover, um, you know, when they go to uh, rescue girls, I would shoot undercover. So that's how I had access is was through partnering with these nonprofit um, Christian organizations, actually. And I found that more work is being done by these nonprofits than actually our government. Um, I do have to say, I started this project in 2016, and now in the last year or two, I have noticed there's a lot more um, awareness and, and um, things being done uh, to expose this issue, which is... I'm really thrilled about like, like it's in the news constantly now. And, and I have to say president Trump and his administration is, is doing it. They're proactive him and um, you know, his daughter, Ivanka Trump, uh, Trump, they have been um, uh, well, first of all, president Trump has signed bills um, where it's much harsher on the traffickers and especially mm -hmm. online trafficking, which is so important because you know, the numbers are, uh, 1.2 million children are trafficked every year and it's a $150 billion a year industry. Well, I don't think that includes the numbers on the internet. We don't know what those numbers are. So it's really, I'm, I was so thrilled that he had done that. And then they just recently passed a, uh, I don't know if it's a, a, a bill, but it certainly, they gave $35 million towards to, to give to a nonprofit organizations for survivors from the sex trade, which I think is incredible because I've been up close and personal and these organizations work tirelessly with no accolades and, and it does take money to do the work that they're doing. Kel, walk me through a couple of places where you first travel to, because obviously these, these are far off places. These are places that culturally are very different um, than the United States. What was it like? Give me a couple of examples of places you went, what the challenges were, and what you learned um, once you got there and started doing your work. 
Well, I, my first trip was to Thailand and Cambodia because when I first started this project, I thought that I was only going to be doing a short documentary on sex tourism in Thailand. And um, so I partnered with Destiny Rescue. It's an organization that, that does work in Cambodia, uh, Thailand. They're also in India, um, Laos, Philippines, and Dominican Republic. But anyways, but I went to a trip with them to Thailand and, and Cambodia. So that was my first trip. And that's actually, when I got home, I edited that short. That's the short that right now is available on Amazon Prime and mm-hmm. Google Play mm-hmm. and iTunes. <clears throat> but, but when I was there, I realized the challenge was, oh my God, this is huge. This is a global issue. Because uh, I, I, again, I, I was moved by Dateline of sex tourism in Thailand. And when I got there, I went, this is like, I mean, the lid has just, I mean, it has uh, <laughs> like, it was global. So when I, so when I was on that trip, it, it, I was like, Oh my God, I, I have to, sh- I have to shoot more. Had so when I, before, had you ever been there before? Was that your first trip there? No, it was my first trip. And you know, Thailand is beautiful there. There's something very, you know, aesthetically, it's the most beautiful place. And then there's this complete, opposite darkness sleaziness this world of sex tourism it's really a weird place to be because in one breath it's like beautiful in the day when you go to like certain you know tourist spots right Mm -hmm. but at night wow we're like a thousand times a million times worse than vegas (laughs) like like it's like it's 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 un and it's global it's like people pedophiles fly in there to do exactly that. And what, and what I learned, and, and this went on and on and on to every country I filmed, what I learned is it's the most vulnerable that get traffic. You know, it's, it's out of poverty that, that even parents will put their own children into the sex trade to, so that they can survive. And, and that's done regularly in, in Thailand and Cambodia and India as well. Like the most poverty stricken countries, you know, and so, you know, the men are, are taking advantage of the most vulnerable, which is children and and poverty, which is really, it's, it's quite sickening. Um, So when I got home, I knew that I wanted to film globally. So I, the first thing I did is I joined the um, uh, human trafficking ministry at Saddleback Church, where I go to church, mm-hmm. and they had partnered with Pastor Kevin Brown, who created, uh, he has a church called Side by Side Church, and he created this uh, um, organization so that churches would come side by side, and they go on Harbor Boulevard in Orange County to rescue girls. And, uh, so that's what I, so I started filming in LA, you know, right here in Orange County. And then I, I then I started filming in Los Angeles and San Diego because all of this is our surrounding, um, community. Right. And, and what traffickers do is they actually travel with the girls. They cross state lines and they always end up here in Orange County or San Diego because there's a lot more money to be made. Um, the customers pay more money. So it's quite horrific. And um, so anyways, so I started filming here in in Orange County in my own backyard and in my own community. And then uh, because I had worked with Pastor Kevin um, with Side by Side Church, he was actually doing work in Iraq. 
um, with the ISIS, you know, abducting Yazidi girls and making them sex slaves. So I said, oh, Pastor Kevin, you got to take me. So I went to Iraq and um, so basically I was shooting every summer and every winter when I wasn't teaching. So I could go on these trips because I had three months off in the summer from teaching and six weeks off in the winter. So that, um, so so my first trip in Thailand was, uh, 2016 and, and July, August. And then that following January, I was in Iraq. Those were probably the most horrific and worst interviews that I did. Uh, it's unbelievable what ISIS did to these people, to Yazidi and Christian girls. Kelly, when you explain something for those of us that haven't been, say, to Thailand, when you get there, how out in the open, when you say night falls and things change, is it, is it something that's right in front of you or do people have to search it out? You know, is it, is it, or are they so public with it? I mean, describe a little bit about just what the yeah. experience is for people and, and what the accessibility is like. How easy or difficult is it to get involved there? Well, what's really strange is that in Thailand, it's actually prostitution is illegal not legal, it's illegal. But there's this place in, in Bangkok that says Nana Plaza and it's like Vegas. It's all lit up and there's like four floors. Men come there and you basically can buy what you want. One floor will be boys. One floor will be underage girls. One floor will be um, transgender boys. What, what, uh, I mean, it's nuts. Men just flock there to get to buy what they want. And it's all children. So it's out in the open. It's so it's out in the open. When you went to Iraq, um, how different was the experience there? I mean, does it vary country to country, just um, how the industries are, uh, are available or is it, or is there a consistency to the experience? I wasn't sh- new, Krista. It's just my mom. <laughs> Sorry. <That's okay. laughs> um, uh, Iraq is very different. Iraq, it's not out open in the streets. It's um, that was part of the how my project also evolved. I said, okay, I'm gonna. Sh- this is a global issue, but it, I'm gonna show the similarities, which is always about vulnerability, poverty, um, and money. It's a money-making business for traffickers and pimps and madams. But I also wanted to show the differences. And, of course, in, in Iraq, it's not out in the open. It's not like a red-light district mm-hmm. um, like, like in Thailand. And, and, and it was about war. You know, here it was about um, ISIS going in and, and basically committing genocide and, and abducting, going into villages, killing all the men, abducting the uh, women, the older women, they made labor slaves. The, the uh, younger children, women, they would make sex slaves. And the little boys, ISIS fighters. So it was quite, it's very different in Iraq. Wow. Very different. So describe the title, 26 Seconds, for those that don't know. What was the, uh, what, what's the premise? What's behind, what's the story behind the title of your documentary? Yeah, 26 Seconds is, which is horrific. Every 26 seconds, a child is trafficked globally. So that's the uh, the statistic for children trafficked globally, meaning that's not the statistic for women and children, right? So I, I don't know what that number is. It might be every one second, every two seconds. Who knows? I mean, you and I have been talking about women. 15 minutes. So in that time, approximately 30 children have been affected. On, that's on right. That's right. It's amazing. 
Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we, it's, again, the title, I think, really matters because it calls out the urgency of the situation. And once you start doing the math on it exponentially, it's, it's really frightening. Um, it, it is. And that, you'll hear a number. You hear it all the time um, when they're talking about trafficking here in the United States. They'll say every 40 seconds. But that's because that's every 40 seconds of child's traffic here in the United States. But the number of children traffic globally is every 26 seconds. When you talk about the interviews over there, um, just describe what that's like. Who were you interviewing? What were the experiences like? Give us an idea of the scope of people you were talking to. Yeah, when I would, again, I would partner with uh, these nonprofit organizations. So when I um, was there, I would interview the founder. I would interview the rescue agents. Rescue agents and survivors would need to be blacked out, of course, to protect their identity because it's very dangerous. They could be killed. Uh, The founders are already out there in the world, so they didn't mind that I, you know, filmed them with their face showing. But I would interview the founder of the organization rescue agents, sometimes the staff that work, you know, with the girls, the counselors or what have you. And, and then always I interviewed about eight to 10 survivors in each country. And I interviewed about 20 survivors here in the U S. And when you say survivor, how old is a survivor? What, what constitutes having survived this? Have they been rescued? Have they chosen to leave themselves? And on average, how old is a survivor? At least the ones that you spoke to. Well, when I was at, um, in each country, because I was always at a restoration home. So these are quite young. These are children between uh, that I interviewed between seven years old and um, like 16. And then of course here, yeah, pretty horrific because they're at restoration homes. They were, they were, had been rescued and now they're safe in a restoration home. And, um, and then the survivors in the U S were a, a bit older, like maybe, you know, some anywhere between 20 and 40, because some of them were survivor advocates, like they'd been out of the life for a long time. Um, And so they were talking about their past. Uh, But all all of them were trafficked, not all of them, but 75% of them were trafficked when they were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, when they were children. The survivors I interviewed here in the U.S., how much detail do they go into? I mean, do they are they able to talk about it or have they blocked it out? I mean, give me an idea of typically on average. Um, I how- felt that it that it was a cultural thing. When I the interviews that were the most protective and and out of respect to their parents were in Thailand and Cambodia. They they were very tough interviews to get the truth out of them because it's just they have a very um, they don't want to defame their, their family. They, they're very respectful. And so it was, I had one out of all the interviews in Cambodia and Thailand, only one was really open. So of course that's the one that I'm going to use in, in the documentary. Um, and, but when I was in Iraq or Mexico or um, there, you know, the culture is much different they were much more open. They shared everything. The girls that I interviewed in Iraq at that time, because this was 2017, I was there even before Mosul was liberated. So ISIS was still, um, they hadn't been taken out yet. So oh girls really wanted their story to get out to the world because it, it was it was genocide. It was horrific what they did to these people. So they really wanted to share their stories. Um, but, he, but the survivors in um, other cultures 
were much more um, open than Thailand and Cambodia, for sure. Boy, I can't even imagine. Because um, when, you're, when you're interviewing somebody like that, how conscious are you of how far you can go? I mean, because I, you, you look, you're making a documentary. Obviously, you want to present information that's going to captivate people and compel people to understand how bad this is. Um, but, but how far can you push? Do you ever get to a point where you feel like um, you, you can't push that much further because of their victim status? I would always talk to them prior to putting them on camera. So I, I would ask them, you know, what, what can I not ask, right? So that right. they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. But I also interviewed them for an hour. So, you know, I always would start with the questions of, you know, the, where you'd ease into it. Right? So, they got, so they felt more comfortable and they would open up more and more, you know, to the middle, to the end of the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a very... Um, I have a kindred spirit with these girls. I mean, I, I myself was an actress. You know, I started at 16, 17. And no, I was not trafficked, but I certainly was exploited, you know. And I and so I just have a kindred spirit with these girls. I feel like, then um, they can feel it. Like they were very open with me. And, and it's because my, I, I really don't feel that my life was... Well, it was different, of course. I mean, when you're trafficked, you don't have a choice. These girls, or if you're in complete poverty, you don't have a choice. You know, um, actresses do have a choice. But actresses tend, that's why I was really pleased with the whole um, Weinstein thing coming out with the Me Too movement. I remember when that first came out, I was, because that came out after I started filming. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, he's not the only guy I've met about a thousand of those guys, <laughs> you know, right, like he's right. just, was the most powerful or the, you know, and, but they made him the poster child, but really I, I met a lot of those guys. Um, so, you know, I was very happy when that was exposed. I was happy, obviously when Epstein was exposed and I was happy when the, the, um, the, uh, owner of the, uh, oh God, what team was he of? Because uh, I had just filmed, I filmed it, I don't know if I told you, I filmed it in Minneapolis at one of the Super Bowls. And then shortly after that, the owner of, what team was it? He was caught. Oh, I forget. The, uh, team the Patriots? Was it the Patriots? So, but, but, but I was like, oh my God, this keeps like becoming exposed, which is, I, I couldn't be more, well, you know, it's heartbreaking, <laughs> but it's also a good thing that all of this is being exposed. And I really believe, you know, hopefully she doesn't get killed, but this uh, Gazelle Maxwell, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> shares <laughs> who else has been involved. Right. I think maybe Robert Kraft, you were thinking about the owner of the Patriots. So he had been charged with soliciting prostitution that had yeah. happened. I think while you were shooting, but, but it wasn't just solicitation. What they, what they really didn't share in, you know, in the media was that he owned that, um, mm-hmm. um, a massage parlor. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I filmed undercover massage parlors. I know what they're all about. So basically he's owning an establishment that is, trafficking girls right right you know well we're going to take let's take a quick break i'm speaking with kelly galindo about her riveting um i guess we can call it a documentary series right it's not just one one piece right kelly yeah so so 
again, you know, I was going to do a short documentary, which has been completed and it's out right now. And that was sex tourism in Cambodia and Thailand. But then I went on to film in seven more countries. So I'm right now currently editing a feature documentary with which will include all nine countries. And then I'm also going to follow up with the doc series because I really won't be able to dive in. I mean, each survivor is a story in in itself each founder of each organization is a story in itself so it's like i gotta do a doc series in order to well, you know, you know we'll break, let's break that down when we come back let's take a quick commercial break again i'm chris septing i'm speaking with kelly glindo director of 26 seconds this is the moment and we'll be right back become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. All right, Kelly, in the last segment, you were describing to me how originally um, this was going to be a full documentary, but now you're looking towards series. What's it like when you go over? How many countries again did you go to total? Uh, I went to nine countries total. Nine countries. So at a certain point, you have to realize this thing's probably bigger than you first thought, right? That's uh, right. W- with wider scope and wider reach. What was it like getting people involved to help you make the documentary? Documentaries are tough. You know, it's usually a, a whole series of resources. You've got to raise money and, and, and get people involved and, and all those sorts of things. How, how did people come to it once you explained it? Were they willing? Were they... Was it hard to get people behind it? Describe the challenges. Because again, I, you know, fronting a documentary is hard. You're doing it. You've done it. What was the process like for you? Yeah, for, absolutely. When I first, the first organization was Destiny Rescue that uh, I um, contacted and approached. Um, and, and it, and that was, a, 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 see, I really believe my, my project really is, I, I feel that God is the producer and I'm, I'm just giving him my gifts and my resources, but he keeps opening those doors. So what happened with that story is 
my niece, actually, she was having a baby shower and her friend who they'd been friends with since they were like two years old showed up and she had this shirt on and it said Destiny Rescue. And I said, hi, Jennifer. And then, you know, and I asked her, so what's that? And she goes, oh, I work for this non- nonprofit organization that uh, rescues children from the sex trade in Thailand. And I was like, what? And I said, oh, my God, I've been wanting to do a documentary on this. She goes, really? She says, I am the assistant to the international director here in the U.S. Do you want to meet him? Yes. So that's how it started. And I I really believe those moments are, are, you know, God moments, you know, right? (laughs) And so, so I... And, you know, it's always not what you know, it's who you know. You know what I mean? Sure. So, so I was introduced to him, and, and it took about um, at least six months to get approved before I could film with him, as it should. They did background checks, as it should. They don't know. You'd have no idea what people's motivations are. and um, So it did take a while. And then what I found is after shooting – one, you know, the, 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 that world is, you know, like any world, right? Everyone knows each other. All the nonprofits know each other. Mm-hmm. So once they filmed with me and I would want to film in another country, they would introduce me to another nonprofit that okay. was in that country. So that's kind of how that opened. So, so, you know, each door would open to the next organization to take me to the next country, the next country, the next country. So that's kind of how that happened. Is it is it hard to get clearance from the countries themselves? Like, what's that process like to get actual permission? Because you're not just going there as a tourist; you're going in to shoot. Is there is there an issue with that? What are the challenges you know resulting from that? Well, first of all, in other countries, it is much more laxed than here in the U.S. Oh. You don't need. Um, uh, I mean, yes, they know you're filming there, but what I mean is that, like, here they have all permits, like, you know, very, and it costs a lot of money. Like, right. it costs me more to shoot here in the U.S. than it did in all the other countries combined. Oh, see, you, that's amazing. I would have thought the yeah. opposite. I would have thought no. they would have. Okay, that's interesting. No. So, no. so that, that wasn't that wasn't a big hurdle to get over, the access and affordability. No, because, and again, it's only because I was with these organizations. I, I couldn't just go over there by myself. I mean, I guess you could, but... I don't know. I I was always under the umbrella of these organizations and they, they're in these countries. So they have rights, you know, they, they own restoration homes and it, do, do you know what I mean? Like, so I was able to shoot at their homes and shoot the interviews of the girls in their homes. Wow. You, you see? So, um, yeah. And I found it, uh, I mean, the most expensive part was just, you know, the airline tickets, really, I, I was quite pleasantly surprised. You know, the uh, hotels and food are so much cheaper. <laughs> like, it, like I'm telling you, it cost me more to film in the U.S. than it did all of the rest of the countries. <laughs> yeah. Once you get home and you've got all of this, this footage amassed, what is the storytelling process like for you as far as, you know, putting it together in a way that's, I mean, again, it's a documentary. It's got to be compelling. It's got to be, it's got to keep people um, wrapped, but you're telling a very serious story here and a very important story. So, so what's it like when you begin from an editorial standpoint, just beginning to piece these things together? Yeah. So right now we are, well, I can only really talk about the, the finished, uh, short documentary we did. So at that time it was probably not probably, it was easier than it's going to be with my feature because I only had one founder eight girls to choose from. I chose the most compelling story, uh, you mm-hmm. know, of the eight. So one, um, and, and it was just two countries. Do, do you know what I mean? Right. So it's easier to like put, I mean, 
from the very beginning, the whole point, and it's why the title of the film is 26 Seconds, it's about the urgency, the, 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 the horrific statistics of every 26 seconds a child's traffic globally. So that, you know, you always, they always say, you know, when you don't know what's going on, I tell my students, you know, always refer back to the title, right? So, so the title is, you know, that's what drives the film is the urgency that children are being trafficked globally, right? But again, the less footage you have, the easier it is. So now, <laughs> and I have nine countries, you know, I remember one of my colleagues, uh, you know, he, he saw my, he was like, wow, you're going to be, uh, he goes, this project will take you about 10 years. I said, no, <laughs> now it's already been almost five. So I think he was right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, you'll be viewing footage for just viewing footage, not even stringing interviews together or start, you know, editing. He goes, you'll be viewing footage for about a year. And he was right. So it is a lot. It's a lot. But how I decided to attack this monster <laughs> is that's why I'm going to do a doc series. So we're basically going to edit, you know, like 20, 30 minutes for each country. And then you bring it down, you know, then each country will only get like 10 minutes in the feature. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's how we're going to do it to, so that we can put wrap this around. Uh and then we'll decide later, you know, at the very end, if we're going to intertwine, you know, have the countries jump from country to country, or if we're just going to literally go from country to country to country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, you want, um, you want this to be a series. You, you, Kelly, you want this to make a difference. What, what do you hope happens if enough people see this? Is it about countries changing their laws? Is it about more advocacy? What, what do you want the sort of sum total effect to be from the documentary series you're doing? Yes, the, the first thing is creating awareness and a call to action, meaning because a lot of people really don't know, like they think, oh, okay, it's in third world countries, but they have no idea it's right here in their own backyards on Harbor Boulevard, you know, near Disneyland. Like, you know what I mean? They have no idea. So it's creating awareness, but also more importantly, a call to action, meaning that if every one of us stood up and did something and we outnumbered the traffickers, Mm -hmm. and then maybe there could be a dent in this, but I, and I want you, you know, people to know that everyone has different gifts or different resources, right? For you, it's you interviewing me, right? That, that, that's because that's what you do for me, because I'm a, you know, professor in film, I can do a documentary, but for others, it might be, you know, uh, joining a, a human trafficking ministry or, or volunteering right, at one of these right. nonprofits, you know, whatever their, their resources or gifts are, it's all needed. Um, and then also it's, uh, it's not just creating awareness or people to step up. It's also needing to change the laws. Exactly what you said. I am hoping, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I, I do, th I used to never be political. And I think now someday I might run for office about this issue specifically be, to, to, to try and because I, because the laws need to be changed. Now it's easier for we, the people to vote in laws and change in the States, but that's not the same freedoms in other countries in third world countries. It's really not. So I firsthand have experienced it and witnessed how important these nonprofit organizations are in third world countries, because if it wasn't for them, these, these kids wouldn't get any help. I remember when I went out on that mission, I was telling you about, we were, they were like staking out a motel in Anaheim and it was 
I don't know, three in the morning. No, no, I'm sorry, sorry. Was, there was another morning, three in the morning. But earlier in the evening, we're in this parking lot and the fireworks from Disneyland were going off. So we're talking about, what, 945. And the light, it was so close. The light from the fireworks was illuminating the parking lot where, where, of this motel that was getting staked out. And it just struck me that here we are in Orange County, one of the um, you know most yeah. prosperous counties, I mean, arguably in the country. And yet this is going on literally in the backyard of, yeah. of, of some of the most famous, you know, vaunted real estate in the world. How does it happen that a place, again, not to say that it should exist anywhere, but when you talk about third world countries and places where there's not as much law enforcement or there's corruption or, or whatever, but how does this happen here? It, you know, a stone's throw from these communities, you know, prominent communities where this is going, that, that, that was my takeaway of traveling around with the group that, those couple of nights was just how it's literally a mile away from, from Disneyland, not yeah. even a mile away, mm-hmm. half a mile. How does it happen here right in a place like Orange County? Because it's all about making money, the whole industry, and off the vulnerability of poverty and children, which is sickening. It's sickening. It's all about money. I can't, it's a $150 billion year industry. And we don't even know what they make online. We have no idea. It's probably double that. So it's about money, which, and, 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 and laws not being harsher. I personally feel that if a John who buys girls and women, well, girls, they should be put in prison, you know, children, period. But, but prostitution, if 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 a John gets caught, he should have to twenty thousand dollar fine and five years in jail. Because he wouldn't do five years in jail; he'd do one or two, right? If the if the if the penalty and consequence was that harsh, there would definitely be less of it. Because every survivor I interviewed, I asked her, "Who were your customers?" They were always married men, always. 100% of the time. So uh, when a husband has to go home and say, oh my God, we got I have to pay $20,000. He can't hide his sin. He can't hide his deception any longer. It has to come to light. And only healing can be done through the light. Now, I also don't want you to think that I, I'm um, ignorant to the fact that we are all capable of sin. We are all capable of, of bad choices and that, and that we're, and, and we, and I do know through God, we are all redeemable. We are, but I still think I believe in consequence. I believe that if there's a $20,000 fine, you're going to prison, you know, you might find God in jail. Well, what was your, I mean, you mentioned Jeffrey Epstein earlier and, and currently um, his accomplice there who's, who's in jail. What did you think of that? Because again, that's the other end of the spectrum. We're not, no, we're no longer in the gritty streets of Thailand, you know, or in the underbelly of Iraq. You're on private jets and you're on personally owned islands, you know, and, and you're amongst some of the most elite personalities on the planet. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a range that trafficking can exist in both of those universes. Does that surprise you at all? Or is it just sort of, is that just how it goes? I mean, what's your well, take on that? I, I was surprised in Thailand, but I'm no longer surprised because of what I've experienced and seen and filmed. But I remember when I was in Thailand, we went to one place to film where it was, you know, very expensive hotel. And so it's like 
high class call girls, basically, but they're being trafficked. You know, there's pimps and madams making money off them. And so you'd see high end customers, right? And the nice suits and the nice cars driving up and blah, blah, blah. By the way, which looks to me very much like Hollywood events. <laughs> but anyways, so we'd be at these high end and then we would, I was filming in like these little tents with dirt floors. And I remember going, oh my God, they traffic girls to whatever price range you can afford. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy. The menu is endless, right? I mean, there's no limit. I mean, I mean, one night I was in this beautiful hotel, high, you know, beautiful cars and clothes. And, and then the next night I was filming, I'm not kidding. It was a little tent set up the size of a, a, a I mean, I don't know how many, it's like a size of a living room. It's not even huge and with dirt floors. So they have girls for whatever amount of money a customer can afford. Amazing. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, um, Enough politicians here take this seriously. I, to me, it feels like this is honestly, this is such a, a, an obvious one. This should be uh, number one on everyone's list. You know what I mean? This, this yep. is not Democrat. This is not Republican. This is really just a universal problem that to me should be prioritized. And I don't know why, but I don't feel like it, like it garners the attention that it deserves. Well, it's very scary right now, Chris. You know, they are trying to, um, legalized prostitution here in the United States, which will, they're saying it would make uh, uh, girls more safe. No, it won't. That, they're going to be exposed more to men that beat them up, exposed to more diseases, STDs, um, and, and the emotional and spiritual abuse that no woman, no little girl, grows up and says, I want to be a prostitute someday right, and sleep right. with 10 men a night with zero love, with zero relationship. And, and basically men are, are masturbating inside of children and young women. That's basically what's happening. No, no human being wants to grow up and, and, and this be their, their lot in life. So legalizing prostitution will not make uh, women safer. No, they'll make them more unsafe and more unfree. I, I don't believe in that. And that needs to be uh, fought every step of the way. Now I have j just this last, what well, within the last month it has been, and this has already been now uh, the law has changed. They've done, there's less, I, basically pedophilers, there's less um, uh, consequence when, when someone gets caught being a pedophiler. They're wanting it to be, it's even on TED Talk right now. They're wanting it to be a sexual orientation. Can you believe this? To be a pedophiler with children. That's why this, this film, Cuties, is, is being released by Netflix. They're basically normalizing pedophilia. They're basically desensitizing the world that, that I mean, that they're making it okay to look at a 10-year-old sexually. Well, I mean, unfortunately, this has become part of the, um, the the internet culture where everything is so accessible and so easy and, and it creates yep. behaviors that may not have been as extreme as they were before. And it's, uh, to your point, it's, it's running amok. It's running out of control. Again, back to what I was saying earlier, I can't believe why this is not 
the top tier priority for every politician in the United Absolutely. States. I mean, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's just, again, what your work is doing is just highlighting to the degree. I don't think people, again, I don't think they understand that it's infiltrated seemingly normal, you know, quote unquote communities. It's not just yeah. something that exists overseas and in far off places. It's right here in, in, in every, I'm sure every major American city has this issue, right? Do you know that I, one of the um, uh, survivors that I interviewed, she's an advocate now. She even works with the FBI and uh, she's so wise beyond her years. She's probably only 23, 24 right now, but she was trafficked from 12 to 15 um, in LA and Orange County. And anyhow, uh, she told me though, when she, the thing that she was most affected by is when she would have, you know, be working all night, having, you know, 12-hour nights and 10 to 12 customers. She was a little girl, 12 to 15. And she'd be, so she'd be starving, you know, by the next day when she was done with her work. She'd go to McDonald's. And she said a, a woman, like, grabbed her children and then took them away, like, to get them away from her. She says, what kind of woman would do that? She could look at me and know that I was a kid. Why didn't she reach out and help? Wow. Wow. Um, Kelly, for, for people listening now, if they want to see the trailer, describe, um, lead them to how they can, they can watch the, the seven-minute oh, sure. trailer, right? Sure, yeah. So the trailer's available on Amazon Prime, Google Play, iTunes, and also uh, Discover Films. But if you go to my website, 26secondsdoc.com, so that's the numeral, you know, number 26, and then lowercase seconds with an S plural, and then doc for documentary, 26secondsdoc.com. If you scroll down to the footer, you'll see, you can click on all of those things and get and find it. Um, and you can find out more about the project. You can also join the mailing list and I... Um, send out, um, you know, information on the project, you know, a few times a month to mm-hmm. keep you Good. updated with the project. And, 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 and what's going to happen next? I mean, again, you, you've described a little bit about what what's to happen. What's the stage? What, where are we at in the process? What can people expect moving forward? Maybe in the next, I don't know, six months, a year. Have you mapped out yet um, exactly how you want this to exist in long form for people? Yeah, so we are, you know, in post-production right now, editing the feature, but how we're attacking that um, is editing like about 30 minutes from each country, and then we're going to put it together. So basically what that does for me is gives me a, um, you know, I I basically have both projects done at that point, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'll have the doc series ready to go. I mean, it's like a rough cut, obviously we, we might would have to make some changes or what have you, but basically by me editing 30 minutes from each country. And then of course, in a feature that those, I would only be able to take about 10 minutes from each country to the feature, but I basically have um, a rough cut of the, of the series. So at this point, Chris, I don't know which one's going to get picked up first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll have both done in, in six months to a year for sure. Um, but I don't know. I know discover films. They have the short on um, of 26 seconds of Cambodian Thailand and they're 
very excited to see the rest of the um, doc series. So it may be on Discover Films, um, but but who knows? You know, I was hoping HBO, Hulu, but but who knows? You know, I do know one thing. It will be done. Uh, it's it's God keeps opening the doors. It, it's a project that has to be out there, um, and I will get it up in, no matter what, even if it's on a smaller platform like Amazon Prime, Google Play, and iTunes. But but I'm but I'm hoping. You know, we'll we'll see. <laughs> the jury's still out. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I mean, sadly it's something you could go on shooting f- right now forever. Hopefully oh, that changes. Yeah. But I mean, as we speak right now, now we're into what, 40 minutes of conversation. How many, you know what I mean? Now, now my head is wrapped around that, that, that gruesome math of, of every 26 seconds. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, sadly yeah. you could probably keep doing this, but again, it allows you an opportunity to, to shine a light on it, you know, and, and, and let people see it for what it is. And hopefully it'll motivate people to get involved. And that's what, that's what, you know, a great documentary like this can do obviously is to make the problem go away to fix well, it. I, I also, from the very beginning wanted at some point this project to be, um, you know, in the archives of the education system so that, uh, you know, and I'm talking like grammar school, junior high, high school, so that these kids know the signs and, uh, and of course in colleges. Um, so that that's going to be part of you know after the project's out that 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 was always my plan is to try to get it in in the archives of the education system. Well, I think that's where you have to go, and you know, to your credit, getting your students involved, letting them understand firsthand. You know, again, you've got a great opportunity, I, I would think, to create advocates at an early age and take that twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old, fill them with this story, so that they can go out. And, and continue the good work and find their own story, whether it's this topic or not, you know, find issues that need attention. And I think, again, that's what comes back to great documentary directing is just finding those stories and those issues that no one's paying attention to or not enough people. And so hopefully, I mean, I don't know if you feel yet that your students are, are feeling motivated, but I would assume they're very, they're very um, changed by this experience, right? Oh, they are. They are. I mean, I've had quite a few doc um, uh, students too, and they're, they're already in that mindset and you know of doing great documentaries and and uh, on issues that matter and to change the world you know so I've had incredible students and I do feel really great about that because you know I mean if it started in 2016 we're already you know in 2020 so I I had to make the decision long ago you know to um to enjoy the journey and the journey means the people that that come alongside you and that you partner with or that you inspire or that you um, educate or, you know what I mean? And, and it has done that because as dark as this film is, um, I've met incredible people and, and I've met incredible men. A, a lot of these men that are the, the founders of these organizations um, or rescue agents. And, and that's been healing even for me because you could easily, uh, you know, make the, the man, the bad guy, you, you know, because usually right. you're the customer, right? But I have also uh, met incredible men working on this project. And that's important because it really is about choices. We all can make a choice one way or the other. And, 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 and some are more vulnerable to be making the bad choice because of poverty and circumstance. You know, I have one, um, and, I, and I adore him. He, uh, his name is Armin King. He uh, actually was a pimp. And when he was younger, and he now has an organization called um, Pave to Great Futures. And he basically 
um, you know, he became a Christian and he's out of the life and he mentors to uh, kids in the, in the gangs and, and gets them out of being in, you know, uh, you know, encourages them <laughs> there's another way of life and he has a culinary school so that he can give them a, a craft a trade so that they can make money another way than being pimps by selling women and i and it and and it, and i you know again i've for i've i've partnered with over 40 nonprofits, and all of these even the founders are incredible people they were once a lot of them were in the life you know he was one um i have another uh I love her. Her name is Annie Lobart. She's the founder of Hookers for Jesus. She used to be high call girl prostitute, and she she's doing incredible work in Vegas. She um, she rescues girls, and she has a restoration home called Destiny House, and she's doing incredible work. And there's another um, um, organization called Magdalene Hope out of Bakersfield. He used to be a John, and he's now the founder of Magdalene Hope, and he rescues girls, restores them. Um, he's doing incredible work. So that's why I do know, I know this as a Christian, that we are all capable of sin. We are all, but we are also all redeemable if we choose light, if we choose um, truth, if we choose God. Well, on that note, Kelly, I want to thank you for all your amazing work um, of, of pure good faith, obviously, and uh, you're making a difference. And I encourage people to check out the documentary and just to stay tuned. Like you said, get signed up on the website and we'll keep talking about it here. And I'm anxious to see uh, where it goes from here. Yes, me too. Thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> And that was my conversation with Kelly Galindo. If you want to see the, the trailer, the short, you can go to 26secondsdoc.com, get more information there. And it's also available on Amazon Prime, iTunes, Google Play, and Discover Films. I want to thank uh, Kelly for her time. I also want to thank Michelle McCarthy Jordal for introducing us. It was that introduction that allowed this important story to get out there and hopefully find some new uh, some new ears. So, so get involved, stay involved. Again, this is a topic that isn't Republican, it isn't Democrat. It's just something that is uh, should involve anybody and everybody and i hope that uh that this gets embraced and we're in the middle of a campaign season right now and sadly you don't hear this topic um put out there too much and it really should be at the forefront so with that again check out 26 seconds documentary and i want to thank you for listening today i'm chris Epting. this has been the moment and i will see you next week thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for the moment be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.